The Marching Roundtable is proud to be an official media partner of Drum Corps International. Classroom management is really classroom culture is really how we have to shift our thinking to it. It's it's management is um I think too much of a micro term. We have to think start thinking bigger and um and as we talk it'll it'll lead me into how my thinking has shifted from being controlling behavior more into how do I understand behavior. Um, I've really shifted from early on in my career to being trying to be a controller to being an understander of, of kids. I, I think it's really important that we know who we're teaching, where they come from, what their interests are. Uh, and, and I think we have to teach to the room. We can't say that seventh graders should be at this level. Or last year, the eighth graders were up here. <laughs> we have to meet our kids where they are, build that trust with them, and get buy-in from the kids. If kids aren't buying into what we're doing, we're going to have problems. That's Master Educators Rachel Maxwell and Jim DeCaro. And on this podcast, they talk with John Franklin about effective classroom management. This conversation is full of practical advice that you can use right away to help engage your students and build the culture of your program. Advice like this. But I also really strongly believe that a lot of classroom management problems come from the podium and not from the class. And it's because our pacing is too slow. We're not prepared. We've, we've picked music that is either too easy for the students and they think it's dumb or it's so hard that they know they are never going to get it. There's a real art to picking music, and it means listening to a lot of music and looking at a lot of scores and knowing your group. And I spent hours for every cycle doing that because picking the right music just made your day so much easier. Your literature is the most important decisions you're going to make because that's going to make or break everything. Because if, you know, your kids love your literature, you're gold because they're excited, they're engaged, your pacing is going to be good. Um, and pacing's your your second best decision you're going to make because if you're too fast, they're stressed out. If you're too slow, they're bored out of their minds. And I I always try to think if I'm in this class, how would I be acting? If I'm bored in a meeting, I am not a good faculty member, okay? <laughs> I am messing around with my table mate or we're like talking or I'm on my phone, you know? So it needs to be purposeful. Otherwise, why would we be so disrespectful and waste kids' time? There's a video version of this podcast that anyone can watch on the Marching Roundtable YouTube channel. There's a link to that video where this podcast is located at the Marching Roundtable. Or just search for the Marching Roundtable on YouTube. And while you're there, we hope you'll subscribe. Thanks to the sponsor of this podcast, LCL Mentors, found at lclmentors.com. Effective Classroom Management on the Marching Roundtable. Welcome to the Marching Roundtable Podcast. This is Tim Hinton, the beast of the marching arts, and I am so excited about this conversation. Listen, everybody, effective classroom management, you're going to perk up, right? Like, all right, we all need to do better at that. So let's find out about it on the line tonight. John Franklin's here. John, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Tim? 
I'm wonderful. Thank you for being here. Rachel Maxwell's with us. Rachel, how are you doing? Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. And Jim DeCaro is here. Jim, how are you? Doing great. Thank you. Absolutely. So we have some real ringers on the line. John, you're going to sort of work as host and MC of this conversation. I appreciate you taking that role tonight. Before we launch into the conversation, um, this podcast is being sponsored by LCL Mentors, who I think is doing a really, really great service. John, you're part of that. Could you tell us briefly about LCL Mentors? Absolutely. Uh, so we're just a group of seasoned educators and professionals in the realm of communication, classroom management, all the things that we need to do to be successful teachers. And our complete mission is about helping teachers who have needs and improving any of those things or just need uh, someone to lean on, someone to, to talk with, you know, uh, we're, we provide that mentorship. And so we get to work with teachers one-on-one. -on -one. We get to work with, with full groups, uh, you know, marching bands, leadership teams, first-year teachers anything. I mean, we just have a, 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 an amazing team of people who uh, have been at the top of their game in, as educators in all of these areas that are just doing wonderful work. And uh, it's an exciting thing to be able to do that and, and being part of this podcast, being one of the things that we get to do just to help our teachers, you know, so that our students are also getting the best that they can get from us too. Absolutely. You can find out more about them at lclmentors.com. All right, John, that was a great explanation. Thank you so much for that. So I'm gonna hand it off to you so you can uh, talk to us more about Rachel and Jim and about effective classroom management. My first question though is, why these two guests? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the uh, I've known Jim for many, many years when I was a student, grad student at Indiana University. I actually uh, uh, helped supervise student teachers. And the first time I walked into his classroom, uh, middle school classroom, and, and heard the bands that he was producing, and more importantly, seeing the kind of culture that he was had built with the students and their focus and their attention to detail and just their, their willingness to really want to be engaged with the learning process. It was phenomenal. Not for for not just for a, a band program but for middle school uh for that too and i think it was a, it was a special thing and to, so i've I, and when i've worked with uh uh, music education majors who are doing student teaching, one of the things I always share with them is, is stories about my observations with with uh, watching Jim and, and his work. And then Rachel is someone I, I, I kind of got to know during my time in Illinois. Um, she was roommates with uh, someone I got to know at uh, O'Fallon Township High School. Um, and uh, so those connections there and, you know, whenever I would ask, when I first moved to Illinois and I would ask people, you know, who were some of the, the model uh, educators, music educators, uh, in the in the state that, that I want to send my students to, to focus on, like without fail, like 95% of the time, Rachel Maxwell was the name that came up. And so I've had Rachel um, talk to some of my students before, and it's always extremely informative. Um, it's very practical. And, and uh, you know, and she's got the the proof in the pudding. She's done the work and it's in its evidence. And in both of these, uh, our guests here is evident in, in, the, in the sort of music uh, um, performances that their middle school students are able to produce. And so couldn't be, have a better group of people to learn from tonight. I love it. So I can't wait to hear what they have to say about effective classroom management. So John, take it away. Yeah, so yeah, we this this idea of uh, classroom management is is a significant thing. And you know, when I was doing some research to get prepared for tonight, I I wanted to find out uh, you know how how much study has gone on and how much publication has gone on. Not not just about classroom management, particularly uh, particularly in the band room. 
And I've, I found studies going all the way back to the 1980s. And then, and that's when I stopped looking, you know? So this is something that uh, has been very much at the forefront of, of our thinking and our study and, and trying to figure out the difference with that. And one of the things I tell my music education students is that there's several things you have to be excellent at to be an effective music educator. First off, you gotta be an excellent musician. Secondly, you've gotta be an outstanding person. Thirdly, you've gotta be an outstanding administrator. And fourthly, you've gotta be a great uh, at, at uh, classroom management. And I've, I've, I've unfortunately seen a lot of uh, very talented, very good musicians, good good teachers uh, who just aren't able to manage this aspect of, of, of their you know, their skill set. Uh, and, and so, Tonight, we just want to help that particular group of people, you know, whether you're a first year teacher, uh, whether you're a seasoned teacher who struggled with this, um, or maybe you're, you're, you've inherited a program where where maybe it hasn't been the, the way it needs to be. You're trying you're trying to change that culture. And so uh, you're going to learn a lot tonight, some very practical tips on that. And so I'm going to I'm going to have our guests uh, introduce themselves a little bit more and just talk a little bit about what they do and where they are. And and then we're just we're going to jump jump into some really, really interesting topics related to classroom management tonight. So, uh, Rachel, why don't we start with you tonight? Okay, sure. So, um, after that really impressive introduction, I'm no pressure or anything, but um, I'm Rachel Maxwell. I teach in Oswego, Illinois, and um, I'm starting year 31 of my teaching uh, in public schools and really fortunate and kind of unusual that I'm starting year 29 at the same school. Um, I did two years of elementary school, and that was a great that's probably the perfect first job because I feel like it gave me a chance to learn how to teach my instruments, learn how to teach children, learn about children as human beings in small group pullout lessons, and also still was doing, you know, the marching band at the high school and that sort of thing. But it was a perfect um, introduction to learning just about people and instruments at the same time. And then I was, had the chance to come over to Oswego and I've uh, been here for 29 years as the program's grown. And so I did a mixture of middle school and high school and we team taught um every step of the way it's been a team teaching um position whether it was a mixture of high school or myself at other middle schools um but i've been in my one building for several years now and i have an associate director who i i team every single class with all day long so there's two of us in the room at all times but that's out of necessity because of the size of the classes at this point um and then i have done some adjunct um at um, some smaller liberal arts colleges in the area. And then just recently, I'm now back at the high school as well, doing some marching band because my daughter is now at the high school in the marching band. And I thought, oh, that's a really good way for me to volunteer instead of you know fundraising or selling hot dogs or whatever, I'll go be on the marching band staff and kind of keep my nose in her business without being too much up in her business. So that's kind of been fun too. Um, plus it's fun to like go over and see my kids from band um, without and help and be part of it, but it's not my circus. You know, that's kind of fun too, to go over and um, kind of see that perspective without having to be the boss. That's uh, also been very valuable for me to like un see that perspective of things without having to be the one in charge. So that's been an interesting dynamic for me for a couple of years. But um, my set setting is we have six, seventh and eighth graders. Um, we start our kids in sixth grade. So those are my beginners. Those are my littles. And we have about 300 kids in the program. It's about a thousand kids in the school and we have them divided by grades. Um, our sixth graders are divided into three different classes. And since we team, we divide that even smaller so that we have very much like 
like I have a clarinet class and a percussion class, brass class, et cetera. So we can break things down quite a bit. And then my seventh and eighth graders are divided into seventh grade uh, is in two sections, eighth grades in two sections, et cetera. Um, and so that's, you know, we are able to handle a lot of things pedagogically that lead to a lot of good management things because the way we've designed it. So um, I think our, our pedagogical design has led to good classroom management design because the two are so intertwined. And I think that also that mentality and that philosophy of everything I do is related. Um, my music selection, how I approach pedagogy, how I, per, you know, how rooms have all these things are intertwined. Classroom management isn't a set of rules. It's how I select my music, how we um, set up our schedule of what classes meet what time of the day or what how we pair our you know do i pair my percussion with my brass or my woodwinds you know all those things are lead to the success of how we manage um the culture of the of the band program and it's and classroom management is really classroom culture is really how we have to shift our thinking to it it's it's management is um i think too much of a micro term we have to think, start thinking bigger, and um, and as we talk, it'll it'll lead me into how my thinking has shifted from being controlling behavior more into how do I understand behavior. Um, I've really shifted from early on in my career to being trying to be a controller to being an understander of of kids, and that's really changed a lot for me in the last I'd say five to seven years of my career. Great. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely come back to that. I want to hear more about that, too. But before we do that, Jim, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Hey, my name is uh, Jim DeCaro. I have a bachelor and master's degrees from Indiana University. I taught uh, public school for 32 years in three different schools, uh, primarily middle school. But for about five years, I also taught marching band. Uh, I retired in 2013. One of the highlights of my career was having our band, eighth grade band appear at Midwest back in 2002. And in addition to the concert, uh, we gave, we were a clinic band two days later with Dr. Lissa May, you, you probably know her. <laughs> and uh, so we got to give two performances there and have, have a great time. Uh, since 2013, I spent about a year and a half at a private school and doing sectionals for a local high school here. And then, uh, my alma mater called and said, we need somebody to supervise our student teachers in the Indianapolis area. The Bloomington, Indiana area is not big enough to place students in schools that are going to student teach. There's just not enough schools. And when you take out the ones who are new teachers and all that, uh, you just don't have enough placement. So we place quite a few up here, Indianapolis and surrounding counties. And then I was added to the faculty, the music ed faculty part-time two years ago. So I basically supervised the whole student teaching program, uh, work with all the students uh, and another uh, grad student, PhD student at IU and with uh, one of the music ed professors. And I have a few students that are totally assigned to me, but then I am over everybody else. Uh, I, I wanna piggyback on what Rachel said. Uh, classroom management was the, one of the more recent uh, versions of the word, when I started teaching and I went to school in the late 70s, it was called discipline. Mm -hmm. Nobody 
disaster <laughs> management. And now we talk about the climate or the culture of the class. And I think I think that's a really great uh, evolution of what we should be thinking about when we take a look at our classes. I, I think it's really important that we know who we're teaching, where they come from, what their interests are. Uh, and, and I think we have to teach to the room. We can't say that seventh graders should be at this level. Or last year, the eighth graders were up here. <laughs> we have to meet our kids where they are, build that trust with them, and get buy-in from the kids. If kids aren't buying into what we're doing, we're gonna have problems. If we don't take time to build trusting personal relationships with kids, where we care about them and they know we care about them beyond when they're holding the clarinet. We have to care about the, the whole the whole kid and what other activities they're involved in, what else they enjoy. And when we do those kind of things, you don't have to be worrying about the discipline and filling out the referral forms, <laughs> calling the office and doing all those things. Because we want to main, handle it in our classrooms and we want to get kids to be actively involved and feel positive about what they're doing, not sent out of the class and in trouble every day they come to our class. They can get enough of that in their other classes. <laughs> we don't want that in band. We just don't. Yeah. You know, to to your point, both of your points, you know, uh, it reminds me uh, of a, a bit of a cliche, but I think a, a true cliche about the idea that your students are never going to care about how much you know until they know how much you care about them, you know, and that's something that I, I you know, I, you, you watch every teacher who impacts their students beyond just a score on a stage or on a field, but just those lifelong people that, you know, that are, that come to uh, that, that I, I revere this person. I think of, um, you know, sadly, um, uh, uh, from um, uh, Youngstown, um, Steve Gage, you know, who just passed recently, you know, and just seeing the tributes to him and the impact that he made because just how much care and humanity that he found in his students and helped them see the best of themselves, you know, too. And and it's interesting because no, neither one of you has said anything about rules and regulations or expectations. You've everything. You both started off by talking about the relationships and the the structure of what you do, you know. So let let's let's talk about that a little bit. You know, what do you do? When you when you start with a new group of students you don't know and you want to build that good rapport with them, what are what are some strategies that you take to to make that happen? Well, I, I think rules are important to, to a certain degree, but students are smarter than we all are, and they'll break a rule that you don't have that you didn't even think about having. And you know, when you make a handbook, which I think is important, it gets longer and longer the more you teach because mm -hmm. something happens that you now have to put in there. I had this this one rule, which I, I think was overarching everything in every class. It was that nobody has the right to do anything which would keep someone else from learning. Mm -hmm. And that's where we started from. And so if anything was happening to disrupt the learning process, uh, that was that was a violation of that rule. But I also really strongly believe that a lot of classroom management problems come from the podium and not from the class. And it's because our pacing is too slow. We're not prepared. We've, we've picked music that is either too easy for the students and they think it's dumb, 
or it's so hard that they know they are never going to get it. There's a real art to picking music, and it means listening to a lot of music and looking at a lot of scores and knowing your group. And I spent hours for every cycle doing that because picking the right music just made your day so much easier. And if your rehearsal is structured and the students know, I play in like four different adult groups. And when I go to a rehearsal and it's not well planned, <laughs> it irritates me, you know, and I'm 65 years old. So um, when I go to a rehearsal where the conductor just goes down the list here and we get things fixed and we sound better, I go home really excited. And I think students are the, are the same way. So you, you have to be organized. You have to set up your students for success. You have to pick music that's not just good literature, not just something to check off my bucket list, something that's good for the students that they enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Rachel, and you, you even talked about your pedagogy. Um, let's say, you yeah. add to that? Yeah. Well, as Jim's talking, I'm over here nodding, nodding, nodding. I'd like to mention that he's a genius. All those points are spot on um, because your literature is the most important decisions you're going to make because that's going to make or break everything. Because if, you know, your kids love your literature, you're gold because they're excited, they're engaged, your pacing is going to be good. Um, and pacing's your, your second best decision you're going to make because if you're too fast, they're stressed out. If you're too slow, they're bored out of their minds. And I, I always try to think if I'm in this class, how would I be acting? If I'm bored in a meeting, I am not a good faculty member, okay? <laughs> I am messing around with my table mate or we're like talking or I'm on my phone, you know? So it needs to be purposeful. Otherwise, why would we be so disrespectful and waste kids time? They want something to do. They're not gonna sit there and just like listen to us because they should, you know, that's ridiculous that we would do that to kids. So, um, but I, you know, I know you said pedagogy, but one of the things that we started the year with this year is um, we just use our school rules, like very general, um, we're the Panthers. So we use school-wide, this roar, respect, on task, always safe, responsible. And we made a poster of what does that specifically look like for band and it's up. And so like a couple points of how you demonstrate that in our class, but that's a building-wide thing, very simple rules. And again, um, do the right thing, even when you don't feel like it. Very, very simple, you know. And of course, we have outliers who have a, a struggle with that. We have our neurodivergent kids. We have kids, you know, with different um, concerns who need a lot more scaffolding or a lot more support. And so we'll work with those kids individually, or we'll develop, you know, um, nonverbal gestures and things or signals I can give them so that they understand that, you know, they they don't understand that clear cut right and wrong sometimes. So we've developed like a, you know, a couple of kids I. I do like a signal when they're interrupting too much that they understand, um, you know, just little things like that. So some kids that normally would be maybe um, your outliers who'd be interrupting all the time or were don't normally understand how to follow the rules, I can give them little gestures or things so that they don't feel like they're always getting picked on or always in trouble and they can be part of our, our culture without feeling othered or feel like they're being called out, yet I can still give them reminders. and. Um, but we started our class too just saying we genuinely want every kid to look forward to walking into our room excited that and happy that they're there while they're there and feel like this is the right place for me i'm happy to be in this room right now and as they walk out of the room happy that they were there and had a good time being there and so we have to figure out what kind of environment do I have to provide so that everybody feels that way? And part of it is having structure and having rules and very simple ones, of course, 
but that that rule is perfect. You don't have the right to interfere with other kids because every kid wants to have the opportunity to come in and learn. And there's nothing more frustrating for kids than if somebody else is, you know, hogging the attention or sucking the energy out of the room by being a distraction. So of course you have to deal with those situations. But um, as I've gotten older, I like to deal with, um, you know, kids who are struggling with doing the making the right decision privately and praising publicly. You know, dealing with um, problem students by proximity, just stand next to them, put my hand on their chair, give them a wink, you know, look at them. They know if I just go hang out with them nine times out of 10, they just want to ask me a question to clarify something. They really, or they'll just stop goofing around if I'm just standing by them um, or um, they'll stop fidgeting if I'm, I'm near them. They just kind of need, or they'll get the attention they need. Or if they have a real question, they'll ask it. It's most kids are not being deliberately bad their attention seeking behavior is fulfilling some sort of need that's not being met mm -hmm. and so those things like move towards them change your proximity ask a question you know how can i help you are you doing okay those kind of things will provide a lot more information for us than just getting on a kid and being upset with them and um then if you build those little relationships with your little outliers who are your little hotspot kids who might be your little trouble kids Man, if you can build a relationship with those three or four kids and, you know, you can give them the little look or the wink or kind of stand by them, give them the nod. And then they're, you're, they're, you're their person. Mm. That strength that you build, that relationship you build, then you're their go-to person every day when they come to class to see you. And the, the rest of your class tends to be kids who, like, want to be there and are really good. So I found if, you know, building those relationships with our kids who are just struggling a little more has really been super powerful so that we just don't have those issues with those little handful that struggle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, one of the things I try to remind my mentees and the students I teach is, you know, being, being a band director, teaching, teaching instrumental music, we have a unique opportunity that no other teacher has, even other music teachers, you know, because we get to help students develop all three of their domains, that the psychomotor, the affective, and that, and, and the uh, cognitive, but that, effect, that affective domain part, you know, where we are connecting with them and allow, giving them space to be able to express who they are within the parameters, of course, too, and expectations to, to both of your points. But, you know, uh, it reminds me a lot of uh, one of my personal heroes, Brene Brown, and how she talks a lot about how, you know, shame is not a motivator. And I remember yeah. me being a, a young teacher and, you know, to me, classroom discipline was I have to make sure everybody knows I'm in charge in this class, you know, yes. and so it would it would be you would become at uh, um not aggressive, but but it will become sort of an adversarial kind of confrontation, you know, with students. And once that happens, as we know, you've lost the battle. You are, and and so one of the things I think is important, if I can just add to what you're saying, is uh, like with any kind of conflict, whether it's with another colleague or with a student, if you approach that student as if they're part of the solution and not part of the problem, that's a completely different conversation. That's a completely different mindset. And when I started doing that myself, I started seeing the humanity in my students and to and Rachel, to your point, I started seeing deeper to the needs that they were uh, having that they were not met because we all know band kids are the greatest kids in the world, you know, right. and, and so um, they're, they're not they're not choosing. You know, no one's going in and saying, I want to be a jerk today or anything like that. There's something else that's going on. And, you know, and I, yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, it's been amazing how many, you know, like IEP or 504 plans I've sat in and been the one teacher who is sort of the advocate for that kid where they're like well they love that class well mm -hmm. it's been i'm like no it's because 
I I know them. They we connected because I, you know, we figured out what that makes them click. And I, you know, and there's time and there's room to figure out. Everybody can cross the finish line, but they're all going to take a little bit different path. Sure. Yeah. And as band directors, we just got to slow our roll a little bit and right. give that space. And for so long, I and so many of us were like, nope, you know, click. And I would like my rehearsals to move fast. Okay, mm -hmm. I don't get me wrong. But mm -hmm. there's space in there for humanity too, and yeah. you know, and I'm a very efficient person, and I I do have you know my tips and tricks and things to, you know, that 90% of the kids can flow with, mm -hmm. but we have to leave room for the kids who really need us to be their advocate because those end up being the really serious behavior problem kids, right? That right. don't click and get along. I think that yeah. we have to advocate for. Absolutely, you know, and we tend to think of classroom management associated with the word punishment and negativity and stuff. But when you're when you're doing it the way you're both talking about, then it's then classroom management is a positive thing. It's about mm -hmm. creating an environment of safety and for nurturing and learning and, and to do all the things that we believe that music education can provide for our students. And that's part of our responsibility to do that, too. Um, you know, so, Jim, one of the things I always uh, knew, uh, just really marveled at when I would go into your classroom was just how your students knew what to do like there were you didn't you are not constantly telling them to go here do this and so on and so forth. there was there was these procedures and expectations and you had you know stands set on the way there was there was an ambiance that that came into uh when you come in came into your room and so uh, can both of you maybe talk a little bit about just some of those things those just those those unspoken things but just how you set up your room or how you move around your room just just those things that can that can help especially for a first year teacher who may not be thinking about or understand those things. I think I think those things are really important. I'm I'm a much bigger believer, I, and I've changed since I taught. I mean, when I first got out, it was discipline. It was follow the school rules, which were pretty archaic at that point. And I came to realize when kids act up, it's not about me. It's not about the class. It's about their lives and about where they're coming from. And had had to change, you know, rightly so. But in terms of procedures. I think they're more important than rules. I think mm -hmm. kids like consistency. I think kids like organization. Kids want to be in an environment where they know what's expected. So there was a way to come in the room. They knew they had to get their instruments out and go to their seats. Most of my career, I didn't allow students to play before class. That was a big thing Dr. Fosha said. Dr. Fosha was my, you know, teacher um, at IU when I was there in music ed and gave us all those tips. Uh, music order on the board or on the screen. Students knew what they had to have out and they knew what time the class started. I didn't start with announcements. I would get on the podium and we would play the first chord or the chorale, the long tone, whatever it was we were doing at that particular cycle. And, and we played a little bit. And that way the few kids who maybe weren't quite ready would get ready much quicker. And then we'd stop and, you know, take attendance and, you know, do all those other things you have to do at the beginning. There was a certain procedure for dismissal. And when students at the beginning of the year resisted or didn't follow, we'd go back and we'd start again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that class started, you know, 10 minutes late because it's more important to get those procedures established at the beginning of the year than to fight it all year long. And part of 
being successful with that is I have to be really organized myself. I have to be able to know how to switch with six classes in a row that are all different sizes, that all have different music, that all have different needs. Um, I have to be part of coming up with a system that makes that work. I had a system for passing out new music. Section leaders would line up in score order. Even my sixth graders knew what score order was. And they'd come up and they'd pass it out to their section. And, and those kind of procedures, I think, made a huge difference. Because when I go into a room and it's chaotic and the start time is ambiguous and the dismissal time is ambiguous and kids can go to the bathroom anytime they want and they can talk anytime they want. It's just not as productive. Mm -hmm. Rachel said something really good here about uh, having just a little bit of that downtime um, and have time where kids can breathe mm -hmm. or be funny. I, I'm pretty sarcastic and I'd have, a, I'd have jokes or I'd say something funny about the music just where they could laugh. I give them a little bit of time to do it. And my classes knew how to pull it back in when that was over, but I wasn't afraid to let it go down a different road at times because I knew I could pull the kids back in just like that. And, and that makes it more fun. Band has to be fun. It's an elective class. I, I told the student I observed today that your administrator only cares about two things. One, that a lot of parents aren't calling and complaining about you. And the other thing is that your numbers stay at whatever level they have to, to balance out other classes in the building that are smaller so they get the right average to get their money. Yeah. They don't care about how many trophies you bring back or if they played yeah. a harder piece of music this year. And so if band isn't fun, kids can bolt and go somewhere else. Mm. And I agree 100% with what Jim is saying. Our we are extremely structured. In fact, we make our kids at the beginning of the year practice how they enter the room, where they like how they enter, where they put their cases, that you close your case, where you put it in the when we're in room, where you, we make them pick a spot where they line up their backpacks during class out in the hall. That's the same place you're going to put it every single day because I don't want you guys tussling over where you're going to get your backpack after class. Um, we have a picture, we take a, we made a photograph and we put it up on the screen of how to set up your station, we call it, which is what your stand looks like and all your equipment, where your name tag is, where your tuner is, where you're, and your station needs to look like that every day when it's set up. We have a two minute timer. Once the bell rings, the timer goes and that's how long you have to get set up until we start. And then we, we hit the video and our McAllister warm-up start. And then they start warming up and I start walking around and, you know, Come on, let's get rolling. Let's get rolling. That's when we do our attendance while they're starting warm up. And we're very strict. There's no playing out of turn. If you need something to say something, you raise your hand and you know you get our attention and we'll come over and talk to you, or you can ask that kind of thing. Um, if you need to go to the bathroom, they get four slips a semester where they can leave our class. They tear one out, they give us the high sign, and we, you know, we let you know you can use it. Um, you better use them wisely because you get four a semester. But you know, those structures let kids understand where they can operate within that. And mm -hmm. like you said, and if they mess it up, we have, I've done it many times where I go, you know what? I think we need to start over, but I don't do it in a mad way. I say in a very, like for our best interest, we're gonna pack up and we're gonna start class again because we're just mm -hmm. not doing it right. And mm -hmm. they, oh, 
pack up everything. They take the clarinet completely apart, put the reeds in the case, put the bassoon away, go back in the hall. I said, I think we can do this the right way. Let's get class started the right way. And we start over. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to do that again. They want to do mm-hmm. class the right way. And so we make routines. At the end of class, they have to come back down. They sit down in their seats after they put their instruments away. I have lines on the floor. Every row has to have their row straight. Their stands have to be in the right place. And then we dismiss, the bell doesn't dismiss, we do. And I say, I like, look, their rows have to be straight, all, you know, all that fussiness. But I think within that structure, we're very like silly and funny, but mm-hmm. then we take our music very dead seriously. Like mm-hmm. our music making is a serious because we tell the kids we are making art mm-hmm. and we're going to send something beautiful into the world and we're going to take this seriously because you're worth it. But within that, we're going to mm-hmm. love each other and have fun and take care of each other. But we're going to be serious about how what we do. But we're going to, you know, love doing it. But the structure has got to be, that's like the structure of your building. It's got to be like right. It can't change. It has to be the same every single day. And I tell kids, you're not going to wear me out. I've been doing this for 31 years. I did your, I, I was your mom's band director. You think you're going to wear me down? You know, and they kind of laugh and, you know, um, but, and we're kind of silly about it too, but, you know, but we're, we're very, very firm with them. And you have to have like a sense of, and that's the thing, like, it can't be like a meanness. It has to be like a loving firmness with a level of intensity that like no kid (laughs) you know there just has to be a gravitas to it that this is the way it is Mm -hmm. and we're not playing (laughs) you know and there you know there's a balance between i love you this is the way it's going to be yeah you know there's there's two truths that that I'm, i'm picking up from both of what you're saying one it's not it's not only important what we do is it's very important how we do it you know, and the, the how we do art and how we treat each other is done with respect. And and when we have these these expectations on there, it's because we we respect each other and we respect the the absolute privilege that it is to be able to to make music and be part of that too. You know, and if if there's anything I could say out there for you know people that are listening is to remember, you know, when you think about what you're your what your why is if it's if there's if a significant part of that is not about making music or making art then you're probably going to be struggling with these things you know because when you value that it's going to change a lot of things and that leads to the second thing that i'm I'm hearing is that you know what you're both describing is you're, you're talking about your values and you're talking about the values that you're setting for your school and for your students and it's not about following these arbitrary rules uh, that are just you know here to control what you're saying here are the things that we believe in here are the things that matter in in our classroom and that's going to then guide everything every decision every behavior that we make you know and again it's how it's sort of what i was talking about earlier about when you approach people as part of the solution a part of the problem when you when you look at all the decisions and, and and choices about when you want to to get on a kid about something if you if you table it in terms of of how does that behavior align or not align with the values that we all agree that are important to us? Again, that's a completely different conversation. It becomes a positive growth-minded sort of thing where it's not about attacking the student. It's about just help me understand your behavior and how that aligns with what, what you know, you, we say that we believe too, you know? Um, so yeah, so those are, I think, great, great, great things that we have. So let's, let's kind of talk a little bit about, uh, you know, these first year teachers. 
you know, there are, there's no applied lessons for classroom management, right? You know, looking at, uh, at some of the statistics before we got on, you know, uh, as, as we all have experienced ourselves, you, maybe we get a little bit of classroom management in some of our education classes, uh, but, but really there's no real world practical way to do that. So, you know, what, what advice would you give to a music education major who's maybe, you know, a year away from starting their student teaching? What can they start doing to help Help prepare them during that time frame before they step into a classroom and have that deer in the headlights moment when they realize it's not about just playing a concert B flat major scale. Okay, I'll I'll take this because I work with these kids. Mm -hmm. I, I think there are a few things that no matter how hard you try at the university level, you just can't teach. Classroom management, you can talk about philosophy and you can give them some strategies, but until you're actually in the moment and you start having this experience, you just don't, you don't understand. And one of the problems with, with the whole student teaching system is we only place students with teachers who are successful, who are experienced. <laughs> who have all these things. And so one of the questions I tell my students to ask their cooperating teachers is, tell me about your first year teaching. Tell me about your first year in this job. How did you get the respect and the buy-in that I'm seeing right now? And those conversations are usually productive because the cooperating teachers will laugh and say, oh yeah, it was a lot different <laughs> when I started here. I, I think, that students should, if, if they possibly can, find a local high school to go and work with in the summers and with marching band, even if it's doing sectionals indoors, um, if they can get paid, there's, there's more jobs in Indiana, central Indiana for those kind of things now that aren't even filled, even though we're in the season already. Uh, there's plenty of jobs like that. A lot of middle schools, junior highs have beginning band programs in the summer and they need help. And a lot of them will pay, at least around here. But even the ones that don't, if you can go volunteer for a week, uh, you know, marching band weekends are starting very soon here in Indiana and they go through, um, you know, right through November here every weekend. And I would say, go to some of those contests uh, I've seen, uh, I judge a lot for Indiana State School Music Association and occasionally a judge will bring a student teacher or a student that's up and coming and let them sit at the table. I've done that a few times and I've given the student a piece of paper. I say, don't talk, but write down here what, what your comments are and we'll talk about it next week. I, I think you need to plug in and the students that do that, when I start in the fall and I have a student in band that came in July to band camp, and they may or may not have been paid. They know those kids' names. They know their way around the school. They know where the bathroom is. <laughs> they know the expectations. They know where to park. All those things really, really help. A lot of our orchestra programs have like jumpstart programs right before school starts for a week. So I think getting as involved as you possibly can. And then once you take the job, you you really learn about all those non-teaching things that you have to do and again we can't do that at the university level we can tell students but sometimes we try to cram so much information down our college students in four years and without them seeing it and being in the middle of it it, it just goes over their heads but when they're in when they're in the trenches 
I've had students say to me, boy, this job isn't even 50% teaching. It's all this other stuff. And mm -hmm. that's true. Things like uh, you better have a good relationship with your custodians. One of our procedure things was students could not leave the room if I saw one read wrapper or, or anything mm -hmm. on the floor. And I would just say, we're just going to sit here. Uh, you know, I get paid the same either way. It doesn't matter to me. And as soon as they heard that, they knew kid would get up and throw the trash away. You have to have great relationships with your bus drivers. All those years I was at Edgewood, I had a family of bus drivers that would take us anywhere we went for free, Indiana to Illinois, Indiana to Tennessee, wherever we went, because they just love being with our kids. Mm -hmm. When we went to Midwest, you have to build rapport with the community. Our superintendent called me into the office and said, congratulations on going to Midwest, but don't expect any money from us because we're not paying a dime. Mm -hmm. And we already had a trip planned to St. Louis for several days in the spring. So my, my kids could not afford Midwest. I got on the phone and I called some businesses and in two or three days I had all the money we needed because we had played at a lot of community events and built that respect and a lot of directors just say no 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 for all these things and they do their christmas and their contest and their spring concert and that's it you have to give back to your community you have to build a good rapport with the secretaries because they're the first line of defense for anybody that walks into that school and so those are the kind of things you want to do i I encourage my students when they go for interviews to send a thank you to the secretary from when they go in the office, in addition to all the people on the uh, committees, because those secretaries remember that when that student starts as a real teacher mm -hmm. in the fall. So there's a lot of things that they can do to build that rapport. Mm -hmm. yeah, we were just talking about this in the office today because um, I have a new associate director and then we have a student teacher with us who did our summer program with us and he's like, another director because he was with us for four weeks before school started and he knows all the kids and he knows our system now and we we're saying there's so many kids that go through the program are good musicians they did fine in their content they love band but they've never been on the other side of the podium and it's completely different than they thought it was going to be and they kind of uh, a little they deflate a little they don't have that like impulse of will that elizabeth green talks about you know they don't have that umph. and so even as as early I would say as people can in like even when they're in high school like start going over to the middle school see if you can help with sectionals start getting in front of other kids get a job at a camp that isn't even see if you like being in front of kids before mm -hmm. you know because some people all of a sudden are like oh my gosh i don't love kids that much but i love band you know they don't even realize it's a totally different thing when you're on the other side that uh, kids are there's sometimes they're sticky. Okay. They don't even realize that, you know, so um, work at camps where you're in charge of large groups of kids and you have to use that, like, Hey, like the mom in the grocery store voice once in a while, you know, you got to push those things and get comfortable with that. Or, um, and like, exactly like you said, even if you don't get paid the value of going and teaching camps, marching band camps or people's summer program camps, the networking is invaluable. Um, my associate director who we just hired, he had contacts on his resume of people whose camps he had worked. And I don't know if he got paid or not, but those names meant something to me when I looked at them, because I knew who those people were and I knew what it meant that he worked those camps, that what his value was. So, you know, that, and in this business networking is critical because I'm not going to hire somebody that 
isn't connected to somebody I don't know and can't vouch for his quality of work, you know, there's, you know, everybody's resume looks the same, but if somebody can say, oh yeah, I worked with him directly and I know their work, then that's going to mean something to me. Um, like you said, and you're, you're spot on about, you know, the community uh, value, you know, our secretary, I can't tell you how many times we've done interviews for all sorts of positions in our, uh, in our building for years and years and years. And I would be on interview committees for like assistant principals or other things besides the band director jobs. And we'd come out and we'd ask the secretaries their opinions about, and they would give us their honest opinions about, well, what was it, were they like when they came in the building? Did they talk to you guys? What did they say? What were they like? And their opinion 95% of the time is exactly like what we went with because they're spot on about nailing character and how they interacted with people and such. So you're exactly right on those points, but just getting in front of kids way before you even have clinical experience, way before you have student teaching. Student teaching should not be the first time you're in front of a group of people with instruments. I mean, if that is, it's going to be scary and you might, it might be very different than people think it's going to be. It might not be, I mean, it just seems weird to me that that would be the first time you practice doing the job you just spent four years planning to do. Mm -hmm. Because it, we spend, you know, three and a half years training for a job without actually doing the job. Mm -hmm. So you got to like find opportunities for yourself because the university, like you said, can't do it. So you, if you're really invested in this as a career, you have to seek out those opportunities yourself and kind of go get it. And if it means, okay, I got to do this and I don't get paid for my time for this, it will pay back a thousand times over if you do it. Yeah, I think one more thing that I didn't say is when you're starting out at a new school, this is for brand new teachers or experienced teachers that go to a different school. It's really important to build rapport with your faculty. There's a lot of faculty out there. I don't know if Rachel has experienced this, but that think the music department can be elitist. You get to pick the kids you want, you get this, you get, you get more money. And you know, none of those things are necessarily true, but, I think it's important to eat lunch at times with other teachers. I think it's important to support their events, go to the art show, yep. go to the play, go to uh, watch some of the games where you have students that are in the swim meter on the football team or things like that. Because when you start doing that, it breaks those walls down. I have followed directors who didn't do that, who st stuck to their own little pod all day long. And it's really important to have the other faculty unified with you. And they are a great resource. If you are having difficulty with a student, a lot of times they'll, they'll have a solution. They'll have something that works in their class, just like we may offer them something that works in our class. I, I just think it's really important not to be off in our own little zone because, because there are teachers that will perceive us as being elitists or we're for them we have to go to the teacher meetings we have to get stuff in on time we have to do the same things that everybody else has to do even when we think they're pointless mm -hmm. <laughs> but that was yep. a great point if i if we're having problems with a student one of the first things i do is um get in a chat or online and i email their other teachers i say hey we're seeing this what what's going what are you guys seeing can we meet about this and i think it just builds a great rapport and it really um they really appreciate being asked you know, and communicating about, and we can kind of come up with solutions before we even go outside to like say an administrator or something. And um, and like I said, sometimes it's 
oh, they're stressed out because they're coming from math and it's really hard for them when they're, you know, we can find out things about kids that we had no idea about mm-hmm. when we talked to the other teachers. Yeah, and I'm glad both of you talked about, I mean, we, we talk about first-year teachers a lot, but it's, it's how many how many seasoned teachers change jobs and, and take over programs, you know, and that's a whole other thing altogether. You know, you never know what culture you're inheriting. And, and, and yeah. sometimes I think it's harder when you've been at a place and you've established a culture and then you have to go and kind of restart that somewhere else, you know, that's a, that's a different challenge altogether, you know, um, what, what would you say though, to, to the, the, the tired, uh, old argument, of well, you know, you just don't understand my students come from this background and so on and so forth and they have terrible home life and so on and so forth. You know, what, how, how do you handle those sort of situations or when, when you hear a teacher even say that to you, what, what, what advice would you give to somebody that's in that situation? Can you start this one? Yeah. Oh, you want me to start? You can okay. start this one if you'd like. I think every teacher, if they're honest with themselves, has points in their career. If you're doing a 25, 30, 35, 40 year career, every teacher hits those years or those parts in the year where you feel burned out, you're tired, you become discouraged. Um, I, I think that's pretty normal, but I think that's a good time to you know, step back, be honest with yourself, reflect on how you're doing things. I, I'm not sure that telling another teacher who goes around, I, I was eating lunch one day and one of the teachers came in the lounge and just shouted at the top of her lungs, I hate kids. You know, that's probably not a teachable moment for her. Right, right. (laughs) Talking about how wonderful kids are. Um, But I, I do think it's important to try to help that teacher outside of a public space, talk to them if they're, if they're receptive, you can share, with the teacher uh, how you feel uh, about things at times, how you feel about classes when you're discouraged. There was one year at Edgewood, I got to the end of the year, it'd been a rough year. It just wasn't clicking. And they had an assistant principal job that opened up and they were gonna pay for people to go to IU while they served in the job in one year and get your license. And I thought, this is it for me. I've taught band for you know, 12, 14 years, I'm gonna do, be a principal. And I went to the interview and I knew I had the job, but I felt sick inside because because the principal said the job of the assistant principal is cafeteria duty, discipline, and supervision at athletic events when I asked what the job you know entailed. And I thought, wow, I have a really good job here. I get to know these kids for three or four years. I get to make music. I don't have to teach the same algebra six periods a day for the rest of my life. I can change my warm-ups, I can change my music, I can take the trip to a different place. I get to have siblings, you know, and and get to work with families for eight, sometimes 10 years. Mm-hmm. And the next year was one of my best years. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I think we have to recognize it happens to everybody. We have to try to encourage them. And then there's some people that really just hate kids and they hate teaching and they're hanging on until, you know, they can retire. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure there's a whole lot you can do about that, you know? You know, it's funny because I have almost the exact same story. I have a master's in music ed, but then I have a second master's in administration. And I had a couple of years where I was feeling like, I think I might be done. And I took this assistant principal interviews and I did the internship on Friday afternoons and I did 
all the discipline and all the you're wearing the wrong thing. And I thought, oh no, yeah. I love band directing. I never want to do this. <laughs> and I was like, I never looked back. And I think I'm so thankful that that did not work. And I never went into administration. I enjoyed getting the degree. It was very practical. You know, it was, it was interesting. I enjoyed it, but you know, I went through a time where I thought that as well. And then looking at what the job actually was, I was like, why would I ever, I, what, I never get to pick band literature again? What, what, what slap myself and ran back to the band room. So um, I think a lot of people go through that, um, especially when you're in a long career. But, um, and I think too, sometimes people just need, they just want somebody to like, listen to them and what their situation is and not necessarily always solve it for them but listen to it and then ask honestly, are there parts of this you want feedback on? Are there parts of this you want ideas on? Or do you just want to vent? You know, because we all want all three of those things at different times. Mm -hmm. And um, you can't, you know, it's like eating an elephant. You have to just do it one bite at a time and you can't fix all those things um, at once. You know, my progression through change or making the culture my own or making the program the way I want it, it took several years mm. you know I had some growing pain those first few years because I took over from a very successful director and so it took a little while to make it my program and um you know there's some pushback and that sort of thing um but even if there are kids that are rough I think they I would just say you have to listen and look and hear and ask questions and you have to learn about the community of the kids and what is valued and then figure out how you can provide structure within what is valued and it's really hard because i've always taught in a very similar environment but i have been able to go into a lot of different environments and very quickly kind of get a feel for the group I'm working with and really quickly kind of assess like what's the vibe of this group read the room really fast and develop like our immediate like okay this is going to be us for the weekend or for the week and um you know there's not like a one answer fits all but younger I mean I think every kind of kid like Jim said does need a predictable structured environment because if they do have an unpredictable home life where they are maybe having responsibilities that are beyond the norm or are not having a home life that's dependable or consistent. They do need to have adults and places that they can depend on. And there may be pushback and there may be difficulties initially because it's gonna be an adjustment for them. But in the long run, that is what everybody's really hungry for is that consistency, somebody they can count on, somebody that's, you know, will provide some stability for them. And um, not all teachers have the grit to do that throughout the day. Mm-hmm. So there might be some pushback when they come to that. Sure, yeah. That, you know, it reminds me of another Steve Gageism where he who always say, love music and love people. You know, if you're doing that, then you're in the right business. And I, I think both of you would have been phenomenal principals, but I'm glad you uh, strayed away from that path and stayed <laughs> in music education. Oh, God. You know, <laughs> 
still still impacting so many lives and you know whether it's it's what's working with with student teachers or young teachers and uh certainly the students rachel you're working with and jim you work with for many 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 years too and um you know i'm, I'm sure there are many stories of uh the impact that you've made on their lives too so as we wrap things up tonight i just i want to give you both an opportunity if there's you know any any last bit of advice or or anything you want to share uh with uh with the listeners uh that you know maybe just some golden nuggets of truth uh you there's already been a, you know, um, a big lottery winning of, of truth already shared tonight. But if you have anything else to, to add, I, I'd love to hear it. And uh, we'll let you, let you, maybe Rachel, why don't you start with that one? Um, I would say you, you have to be 100% your authentic self. Um, kids can see right through if you put on sort of like, you know, sort of sugarcoat yourself. Or I've always been very authentic with the kids. And sometimes I'm frustrated or sometimes I'm like, oh, this is not working. And but I will say sometimes I allow myself to be a little more amplified or sort of a more dynamic version of myself in front of them in order to kind of pull them in and convince them and sort of, you know, make them more engaged with what I'm doing. But it's always my authentic emotions. Like I never really hide what my real human reaction is to what's going on now that doesn't mean i'm you know uh off the hinges or anything with them but but you know i i try to let them know like we're having a human connection we are having a human interaction and we as we're making since we're making art and we're interacting and we're having a we have a collegial relationship and when we work we are working together as artists on the podium we're not I'm not sending you out there to do it by yourself. We're not putting something out on display. We are together as people creating something. And mm -hmm. so we're both gonna have genuine reactions to what we're doing. And I think that's gone a long way in having kids. And that trust is a two-way street. I will trust them, um, but they and they can trust me, but it has to go both ways in our behavior toward one another. Great, thank you. I love that authentic. That that's great because kids can tell when you're not being authentic and i think it's okay if you're upset <laughs> to let them know it and it's okay to let them know you're having a great day and to laugh i think it's okay to share something from your life with them i would ask kids on friday what they're going to do on the weekend or monday what they did and i think it's okay to share things from you and let them know if you have a dog or, or what, what movie you went to see i i think it's it's important you know as somebody who's at the end of his career and now just working with college kids, I, you know, I look back on it and I say, you know, it was really pretty good. I got positive throughout, positive things throughout the year would happen, not every day, but I didn't have to wait till the end of the year when a test score came in to see whether what I've done for the last seven or eight months was gonna get me a raise or keep my job for next year. It was always different. There were no two years or no two classes that were ever identical. But now that I'm at this point uh, and, and I'm connected with social media, which I wasn't for a long time, it's really cool to see my former students on Facebook and see photos of their kids in band or they're singing in a choir or they're playing violin. Just, I mean, it's, that's really cool. And students will write and say how much it meant to them and they wanted their kids to do it. Uh, one of the groups I play in around here is the Indiana Wind Symphony. And this summer, I got to direct a few pieces at each concert. I don't direct much anymore.
But I got up on the podium and I looked back in the tuba section and there was a kid that I had, you know, maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago. He's sitting in the band on tuba. And so we talked on the break and that was just, it was so cool. And I, and I said in front of the group, I get to direct him again. <laughs> you know, here we are 15 years later. And that, that's just awesome to see kids that I had. It's really cool for me with the uh, Indiana University students to help them get jobs. You know, th this summer it took till the beginning of July, but every student we had last year, and we had a lot that wanted to teach, got a job. And that's exciting. I go to contests and I judge and I see people on stage directing groups that I had as an IU student four or five years ago. And that's, that's really gratifying. And uh, I think one of the most important things we can do is expose students to a lot of different genres of music, to teach them how to be not band directors or professional musicians, because most won't do that, but how to be consumers of music, people that will listen to and, and attend different concerts when they grow up, people that will participate in community bands or a church choir or a community orchestra, and then who have kids that grow up and, and repeat that cycle. And I, that to me is just really gratifying. And if you can take that long view, if you're at that point where you're at 20 years and you're discouraged <laughs> or feeling like you want to be an administrator, step mm -hmm. back mm -hmm. and, and think about the impact that you've had on so many students. Yeah, that's great. You know, and so, you know, just kind of wrap things up here. It, ultimately, it's it's about the love that we have for what we do is the it's the love for what, what that can do for our students and and the legacy that it leaves behind uh, that we don't even sometimes know until you have those moments when you see their tuba player sitting back in the back of the room there too you know and and those all are always those things that 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 pushes and motivate us uh, who who've chosen to go to education uh, to keep reminding us why we do the things that we do. So, so thankful for both of you tonight for sharing your stories and your wisdom and the knowledge you've gained. And um, you know, one of the things that 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 I always think about when we have these conversations are those teachers out there who you know are, are who come to these listen to these podcasts because they're trying to find some source of inspiration or just some information or just something to help them maybe with something they just haven't quite figured out yet and you know uh certainly that uh, one of the, the best things to do in that case is to find a great mentor right and, and to be find people who you look up to and, and figure out like where are the classrooms that are doing the things that that i wish i was doing and spend time with those people you know and and the best educators we know are also the ones who are eager to provide that for, for the young teachers. And, and I know both of you have done that uh, exceptionally well uh, and, and are continuing to do that. So I appreciate what you do with, you know, to give back to the so-called um, next generation. And so, you know, if you're listening to this podcast uh, in your car or, you know, uh, anywhere and, and are just trying to think about what to do to, to take that next step and you, you're getting inspired by this, but you're, you're, you just need that little extra help, you know, find a mentor, you know, find somebody in your district who, who you can look up to, who, who can give you some time. And if you don't have anybody, you know, maybe you teach in an area where you just, you're the only person that's there. That's why LCL mentors, uh, it was created is we want to help you and and know and there's not a single person who comes to lcl mentors who 
with, with who has a desire for help that we're going to turn away. We're going to help anybody that wants to help, you know, regardless of what your your background or ability or resources, whatever the case may be. We believe in this. This is something that we're passionate about as well, too. So, you know, if that's you and you're looking for that and you want to learn more uh, from great people like our guests tonight, Jim and, and Rachel, um, you know, check us out and uh, we'd be happy to to share with you and, and help you get connected with the people that can help you be your best self so that your students can also be their best self. So, Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and uh, it's been a wonderful conversation, and, and um, I, I look forward to seeing you in person again sometime down the road soon, so it'd be great. So thank you again. Thank, thank you. you. Rachel, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you as well. Thanks, John. Are you? Mm-hmm. Find hours of great information about effective teaching and building the culture of your program in the over 1,100 podcasts at the Marching Roundtable or in the hours and hours of webinar videos and interviews at Marching Arts Education. We are so grateful that so many of the very top educators and designers in our activity have talked with us and shared their secrets. You can learn from these top marching arts professionals at any time at our website at marchingartseducation.com. Thanks again to the sponsor of this podcast, LCL Mentors at lclmentors.com. This is Tim Hinton, the Beast of the Marching Arts. You can learn more about me at beastofthemarchingarts.com and check out my new paranormally-themed bed and breakfast, The Phantom History House, at phantomhistoryhouse.com. And of course, thank you so much for listening. If you're a business that works with band directors, marching bands, color guards, or drum lines, you should sponsor podcasts at the Marching Roundtable. Our listeners are the exact audience you're trying to reach. And with thousands of podcast downloads each month, it's a great way to directly reach your target audience. For more information, click on the Sponsorship Opportunities link at marchingroundtable.com or email Tim at tim at marchingroundtable.com. You can grow your business and help support what we're doing here on the podcast.